This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles, ready for next day installation, and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com, that's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Hey, this is Stephen Furtick. I'm the pastor of Elevation Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today. Hope this inspires you. Hope it builds your faith. Hope it gives you perspective to see God is moving in your life. Enjoy the message. The series is called Triggered. This is week four, and I just trust that you came expecting today for God to speak to you. Let's look at 2 Kings chapter 5. I'm going to give you my title right up front. The title of this message is, Why I Went Off. Touch somebody, tell them it's a long story. When I first decided to preach on this topic of triggered, I figured that it would help me personally, and then we could do group therapy. But I wanted to do it from the Word of God, because I am not a psychologist, certainly not a uh, uh, neuroscientist or anything like that. I interviewed a neuroscientist uh, a few days ago, and that is now on the Elevation Church YouTube, so you can go and watch that. I asked her questions related to the clinical reasons that sometimes we do the things that we do, and had a conversation with her about not just understanding things with cliches and jargon that we sometimes use to cover up our lazy thinking, and sometimes we spiritualize issues that are practical. We, at the same time, sometimes try to solve things practically that are spiritual. And so it was just a great talk. That's on the Elevation Church YouTube, and you can check that out. But this week, I want to share a character study on a Bible character who is so familiar to me. And by that, I mean not only have I read this story quite a few times, but I feel like I, feel like I know this guy. I feel like I met him one time in the mirror, and certain things about him really spoke to me, and so I just pray that the same will happen for you today. Um, as I read this text, I want to just tell you the spoiler alert right up front. Naaman in 2 Kings chapter 5 has leprosy and gets healed, but that's just the headline, and so there's a lot to learn in the midst of it, and I want to read a few verses and kind of drop in and explain, and, 
and move along in this narrative. Um, the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1, Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. It's interesting the way that is phrased, because it says it wasn't by him that the victory was won, it was through him. And I think understanding that is very critical. If you are to have any hope of remaining sane in your life, just to know that God's going to do it through you. You know, half of the time that I'm messed up is because I'm trying to do it for God and He's trying to do it through me, but He can't do it through me when I'm trying to do it for Him. And so I just start forcing situations and then I'm frustrated and irritated and agitated and I'm mad at everybody and everything because I'm trying to do stuff for people and for God that God would like to do through me if I would yield myself and yield my will. And this is even more interesting because Naaman is not an Israelite. He's not one of these chosen people as they understood it at the time. He's actually a commander of an enemy army from Aram that would consistently raid the Israelites and not only do damage to their crops, but many times take their people away in bondage at the end of one of these raids. The Bible says he was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him he was highly regarded because of what he did. He was highly regarded because of the results that he achieved. He was highly regarded because of the outcomes that were brought about through his skill set. And so he was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him I'm reading it over and over on purpose because it's so profound that if we skim the surface, we will miss the meaning. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. And he was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy, an incurable skin disease, a non-lethal form of it in this case, but a problem nonetheless. He was great, but and depending on when you see someone and the setting that you meet them in, you might be sometimes more acquainted with their victories than their vulnerabilities. That's why I advocate just a little bit of time dating, just a little bit of time to see them in pressure-filled situations, just a little bit of time out of the candlelight under the harsh neon glow of some of the trials of life. Just a piece of advice, but I can't prove it in the Bible, but I think you know, depending on where you see someone determines what you see. And I realize this more and more now because I think people think that they should behave in front of a pastor. So when I meet people, a lot of times I realize I might not be meeting the truest version of them. Do you know what I mean? They might not always speak in Hebrew and Greek. Um, they, they might sometimes speak in other tongues. But when when I really want to know about somebody, especially on staff, I don't go off of my first impression because I don't really trust my first impression of people anymore. I used to. I used to say, I have discernment. Um, now I realize that a lot of what I thought was discernment was really me just vibing off of somebody, or maybe they reminded me of somebody, and I didn't like some people that were really cool, consistent people, but I thought they were boring. But the reason they were boring is because they're not always having to create drama in their life. And I found out that drama works good in movies, but in real life, I don't want the ticket to that show. 
So now, am I preaching already? This is just the first verse. And what I learned about myself is I need to ask others. I need to get references. And at times I'll meet somebody on our staff, and it's not a small staff, and I don't know everybody on the staff anymore. I used to. I used to hand select people and. Oh man, when, when I hired the first staff member, I got the opportunity to spend just hours and hours getting to know him. So I, I knew his strengths and weaknesses pretty well. But now I will ask someone about someone, and I'll ask somebody that works with them and has had to work with them in a pressure. Hopefully, if I can, if I can get somebody that has had to work with them when there was a deadline involved or has seen how they managed a disappointment, you know, and how they treat others and things like that. So I, We'll ask, um, how is so and so? Let's say that that I wanted to know about JT. I would ask. I would be like, "Hey, how's JT?" And I would wait for the person who knows them, not the person who met them, but the person who knows them. To I would wait for them and see how long they hesitate before they answer the question, <laughs> because I want to see how long they're going to scroll through. You know, and sometimes people will say. The right thing, but it's the inflection in their voice they say it with that lets you know there's something else. I'd be like, um, "Hey, I've noticed JT on our staff. He seems like he seems like a great guy." And if the person's voice goes up when they answer, you gotta pay attention to that. And so it's like, um, "How's how's JT?" And they'll go, "Oh, he's great." And when they hit that falsetto, like unnatural soprano note, he's great. When they start sounding like Axl Rose. You know, up there is. I'm like, but what? Everybody say, but what? Because one thing that has really helped me in ministry and in life is to realize that everybody has two eyes, two ears, one nose, one neck, most people, two arms. Two legs, and everybody has at least one butt. He was a great man, but it's in the Bible, people. I'm not making it up. It said that this great man, he's great, but the problem with being a preacher is I can see your eyes, I can see your ears. I can see whether or not you're taking notes, and if you don't have a pen out, I'm judging you so hard right now. I hope you feel the vibrations of the flames of hell. <laughs> the issue with this arrangement is I can't see your butt, and it's probably better that way. <laughs> Spent a lot of my ministry preaching to people's heads. Preaching to people's intellect. And I messed around and pastored this church now for over 12 years, and I messed around and got a few stray grays in my beard, and I messed around and got involved in a few people's lives, and I messed around and found out that everybody has a butt. And the only way I knew it is that a few people showed me their. their <laughs> I know it's awkward and. You know, half the reason that sermons don't really register more than two hours sometimes is because we're all trying to cover our butt. That's the strategy most people come to church with. CYB. Cover your butt. You cover it behind a big smile and a praise the Lord and a shandalabakosha rabayete kesha da basanta kayete kilaba. 
You know I could do that. Do you know what I'm saying? He was a great man, but he had a skin issue. And nobody can see that on the battlefield because on the battlefield I got armor. And we all have something that we use to cover a spot in our life. Let's be honest. We're not talking about human anatomy here. You have multiple butts. You are great with people, but you don't take care of yourself. You see what I'm saying? You are really good at succeeding and really bad at being content. So I'm successful, but I'm miserable. I'm killing it at work, but my 15-year-old… Do I even have to finish this? I got a great marriage. I'm great. But I'm not making any money right now and I'm 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 a good emotional provider but financially, you know, I never learned how to do that. And the thing about a really good encounter with God, you can tell when you've encountered God, it will expose your <laughs> and the way it happens, it'll often be an unlikely way. Let's talk about this in three stages. The first is exposure. Naaman is perhaps changing one day in his own home. And verse 2 says, bands of raiders from Aram. Remember, he's a captain. He's a commander of these armies from Aram, which would often go out and take different people captive. And on one particular such occasion, the raiders from Aram had gone out and had taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. And so the Bible says something really important in verse 4, because you are not blessed based on the word of God that you hear or the word of God that you understand. You are blessed and your life is changed in accordance with the word of God that you apply, obey, and act on. That's why you can hear 13 years of teaching and still be mean as the serpent in the Garden of Eden. That's what, no, that's why you can hear a lot of teaching about love, but if you don't make the decision to forgive, the teaching about love will be snatched up by the birds of the air and will not take root in your heart. So verse 4 becomes really important if we really want to change, if we really want to get beneath the surface and you know, not just have a skin-deep spirituality and a skin-deep relationship with God where we can fake it for a little while and we create stages to impress people and we have armor that we put on to go out into our job, but we come home and feel like miserable, miserable people to live with, or we, we feel like we don't know how to be intimate, but we know how to be impressive. And so as long as people only see us from a distance, they don't really notice we're starting to cover our skin and cover our souls and things that are just leaping out of us at all the wrong time. Verse 4 says that Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. 
And this took courage and it took humility for Naaman to go to his master and show his butt, to show his vulnerability when he was a man with so many victories. I just want to stay there for a minute because sometimes I feel like we use prayer as an opportunity to read God our resume. You know, and while I think it's great to celebrate all the Goliaths that we killed, sometimes the giants in us are kicking our butt and we don't say anything about it <laughs> until it's too late. And I'm getting bolder every year I pastor as I commit more and more to preaching to the part of you that you would just as soon hide and never mention. Because I think that's where real help is found. And Naaman went to his master and, and told him what the girl from Israel had said. I mean, this is, this is a servant girl. And Naaman is what? A great man. A great man. He's a great man. But he's got these spots that are starting to spread. And if he doesn't do something soon, there's no telling what might happen next. And since there are no essential oils for this particular form of leprosy at this point in antiquity, Naaman has to take the advice of a little girl. And now we have a great man going to an enemy nation in Israel because of the advice of a little girl. Are you willing to obey God even if he speaks through something that seems smaller than you? Because I notice a lot of us won't. A lot of teenagers will listen to me preach and roll their eyes at their parents, and I don't understand that. Because I'm not paying for your college or your braces. I'm not even buying you ramen noodles. And sometimes I've noticed that men will listen to me preach, but their wife knows them better than I do and could say some things that would actually help them. It's getting quiet, and even the women left me out on that one. It's like that. I'm going to cancel reflect if y'all don't help me with this sermon. It's something about exposure. And when a spot in your life, everybody say spot, a leprous spot, something that is consuming you that others can't see, when it is exposed by an experience, that's the second stage I wanted to mention is experience because things will happen in your life and you'll come up upon situations that will expose something that you would prefer to hide, and what you do next determines whether you get healed. So Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel had said. Verse 5 says that the king said, By all means, go. I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So Naaman left taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold. That's like 75 pounds of each. So Naaman is going to Israel with his resources to attain healing. He's going he's gonna to deal with this like he always deals with things because he's a great man. He's a persistent man. He's a prepared man. He's a powerful man. He's other things that start with the letter P as well. And the letter that he took to the king of Israel read, With this letter, I am sending my servant Naaman to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. There's all kind of stuff wrong with that sentence. It's like the telephone game we used to play when you pass a message along to somebody 
and it starts out we're having you know, chicken for lunch and it ends with I'm dying of cancer and you pass it down and it only takes three people. This chain of communication has uh, polluted the message itself because number one, the servant girl didn't say the king can heal him, it said the, the prophet can. And sometimes we run to the wrong people because we have our own ideas about where our help comes from. Talk to me. And it's not the king that is going to have the faith to get him healed, it's the prophet. His name is Elisha. But the king sends the commander to the king because, you know, this is, this is to me the most logical way to get him healed. We'll go straight to the top. But watch the king's response, and this is kind of interesting. Because when the king gets the letter and Naaman shows up uh, with all of the accumulated wealth that he believes it's going to take to get him healed, you know how we have our own ideas about what it's going to take to make a change in our life. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go back. I'm going to get my degree. I'm going to go back. I'm going to get my degree. And I'm going to eat, eat so much kale. It's going to be coming out of my nose. I'm not eating gluten again until 2024. I'm gonna do hot yoga and cold yoga and powerlifting, and I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it all. I'm gonna read my Bible. I'm gonna delete every this social media off my phone. I'm never going on Facebook again. I'm gonna get my face in the book. And he shows up with all the stuff that he thinks he's gonna need to get healed. But as soon, verse seven, as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, "Am I God? You want me to do what?" I got this friend, y'all. His name is Alex Early. He was my college roommate, and he used to make prank phone calls in college, and they were hilarious. Most of them were clean. We were Christians, but he had the ability to push people to their breaking point. He was a big fan of a guy at the time who did prank calls named Roy D. Mercer. And this guy was famous for taking people right to the edge. And so we would laugh and we still have these phone calls recorded. And one day I'm going to release them on SoundCloud. And these phone calls to me just bring me joy at times in my life because everybody's reaction was the same. He'd make up a million scenarios, you know. Uh, he, he would uh, use this uh, name, this alias, Duane McGraw, D U W A I N E, and put a thing over the E because it's French. My name is Duane McGraw. And he'd say, my boy Bobby is throwing up all over the shag carpet because I came to your grocery store and I bought bad milk. And they would always say this, no matter what scenario he made up. One time it'd be Bobby's throwing up on the shag carpet. One time it'd be I took my trousers to your laundromat and they shrunk up and now they're coming up around my thighs and I look like a European. And I, you know. But whatever scenario he would bring up, their response was generally the same. What do you want me to do about it? <laughs> what? The, the king, the king is like, you brought me a leper. Do you think I'm God? I'm not a doctor. I'm a king. Have, have you ever felt like life brought you something that was above your pay grade to handle? God, they're doing that thing again where they sit there and look at me like they always have it together and they have all the answers. Because I looked at my kids the other day and said, I am not Google. I am not a search engine. I do not know. Furthermore, I do not care. Get out of my face. Sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and replay things that I've said to my kids and feel so bad that I have to get up and baptize myself in the bathtub and get saved again just as I am without one plea. Oh, Lamb of God, what do you want from me? I'm only a man. 
king says, I know what this is. This man, watch, can I kill and bring back to life? He's triggered because he is confronted with a situation that he is unable to transform. And whenever life presents you with something that you were not equipped for, so you got to be a dad and you didn't have a dad. You got to pay a bill, but God didn't give you a job. You've got to step into something that you've never seen before with the faith to believe that it's already done. And it can be exasperating to the point, watch this. That you allow your past experience to contaminate your perspective of the present moment. Re remember what I said. The, the, the king of Aram, Benadad II, would often go and invade Jehoram's land, Jehoram's king of Israel. And so when he gets the letter saying, Hey, can you help my guy Naaman? Can you heal my guy Naaman? It triggered within him. A traumatic memory of the last time he was attacked. And so he goes off, not because of the situation that he's experiencing, but because of past experiences. Do you ever wonder why you go off and it's it's inexplicable? Like the level of the offense does not match the level of the outrage, and you wonder why? What was that all about? Have you ever, with the Elevation Church sticker on your car, said some words that weren't, Bless the Lord, oh my soul, and wondered? You know how y'all think Holly is so sweet? One time in college, she was singing a worship song in her Ford Contour, and the song said, I was there, I was in the passenger seat. The song said, You are so patient with me, Lord. She didn't get to Lord before she was screaming at the, at the Dodge Ram that pulled out in front of her. And she's loud. Holly is loud. When she's up here at Reflect, she'll be smiling. But I'm going to tell you something about Holly Furtick. What? What was that all about? Where did that voice come from? Where you and then the devil starts telling you, oh, well, you know, you're not a real Christian. You're a hypocrite. Some of y'all are going to lose it before the day is over because of your fantasy football lineup. <laughs> no, not because of anything significant to anything having to do with real life in any way. Because of other men that have absolutely no effect on you other than $100 at the end of the season. And you wonder, why did I go off like that? It's understandable because we live in not only the age of anxiety, but have you noticed we live in the age of outrage too? How trendy it is now to just get mad about anything that you don't like the first time you hear it. Well, y'all aren't going to like this part of the sermon. I don't think too much, but. Can I be honest with you? I don't really care what shoes you wore to church today. No. Maybe my perspective is different, but I spend, I spend too much time seeing people's butts to care about what you have on your feet today. So I don't have time when teen suicide is at an all-time high 
to check and see if you're wearing Adidas or Nike, if you got Yeezys or you want to just do it. I don't really have time to debate with you about a swoosh or a commercial or get mad about… I really don't have time for it up here when people's lives are on the line. I really don't have time for it in here when people are on antidepressants at a rate that's making them more depressed, but they don't know where else to turn, and we're running to all kinds of places that are leaving us empty. But we want to fight. And there will be at least one comment on this YouTube video about the holes in my jeans. Are you for real right now? But it triggers something. You're not fighting me over shoes. You're not fighting me over jeans. One woman told me, until you shave your beard, I can't watch you anymore. This is psychotic. She said, I'm praying for you. I, I want to say, I'm praying for you. I'm going to fast 40 days. If you're that messed up, I don't know why I went off. It, I think, like for me, this is just what I'm working through, and so if this makes you think I'm crazy, you're right. But I'm going through this season of my life where I don't want to keep blaming my environment or consulting things that happened in my life because the cross of Jesus Christ gives me a new reality. And it really changes everything in the sense that all of my life has to be viewed through that lens of what he did for me and who he says I am. If I'm not careful, I'll, I'll be like the king who, when confronted with an impossible situation that reminded him of a past hurt, he inflicted the opportunity of his present moment with the pain of his past. Do you see what I'm saying? He projected… See, every time he dealt with Aram, it was an attack. And now it's an opportunity for this man to be healed and see what God can do. But if what you went through isn't healed by what Christ did for you, you will treat the opportunity like an attack. And I've noticed that like I spend a lot of my time fighting stuff that God is actually sending into my life. I spend a lot of my time fighting against people that I'm not really mad at. It's really not them. Tell the person next to you, it's not you. It's me. It's me. I, I'm a perfectionist. And so sometimes when things aren't just like I want them to be, or here's what really happens it really happens with my expectation. Put that word up there. Because when I expect it to be one way and it's the other, like when I went off on my dad a few years ago, it was because. I rented him a house. I moved him and my mom to Charlotte. I well, I didn't. I didn't move him. I hired movers, and then they got fired because my dad was crazy. And <laughs> it was so funny. It really wasn't funny. It's funny now. Can we laugh about it? <laughs> okay. But the day I went to see him, and the story has a happy ending, and we, you know, ended up being together, and it was good and all that. But in between, remember, Naaman gets healed at the end of this story, but there's some stuff in the middle that I want to talk to you about. Because in the middle of that, that whole messy situation with my dad, I remember going over to check on him one day, 
And I was so proud of the house that Holly had found that we rented for them, and my mom liked it, and she was happy. And my dad, the first thing he said, I walked through the door, he said, This ain't gonna work, Bo. And I know honor your father and mother in the Lord. I know that Bible verse. I promise you, I know it. I even know that, that honor is kavod in Hebrew, and it can also be translated glory and weight. But the only thing I wanted in that moment, I'm gonna just be honest with you. I don't like to be disrespected. And it felt disrespectful to me. And so I went off. And it really wasn't what he said, because really what he wanted was just a few small tweaks, but I couldn't hear that anymore. You know? Because my expectation was that he was gonna meet me at the door and give me a big old hug and say, My son, in whom I am well pleased. And the dove would descend. But he didn't read my script. What do you do when people don't read your script? Meet your expectation. And here's where the story gets good because I want you to notice that the same event that triggered the king and made him go into fear mode, which is usually what's happening when we're lashing out or withdrawing because not everybody. Fights outwardly. Some of us bottle it up inwardly, and then we never go off. One day we just tap out. And you wonder, how did they drop like that? Well, it's usually a series of unmet expectations. In, in this case, the king of Israel, Jehoash, he's traumatized to the point that he thinks that everything is a fight. It, it says it in the text. See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. That's verse 7. See how they're looking at me? See, they didn't even wave at me. See, I told this is this is a southern thing. You're supposed to wave at people when you drive by them. The town I grew up in, you waved at everybody. And the first time that uh, we were driving through the neighborhood and Holly didn't wave at people, I corrected her. I was like, "What is wrong with you?" And she's not from Monk's Corner. She's from Miami, and it's a different culture. It's a, an, an inferior culture of rudeness. <laughs> and so any time that that you've been used to in your life you you've been used to fighting if life has really been a fight for you if you've had to fight for your mental health or you've had to fight for your emotional health or if you've had to fight through issues of bitterness and forgiveness because of abuse if you've had to you know fight for your own and fight to make it or if you had to fight your own family when when you've had to fight over and over again everything looks like a fight everything looks like a threat Everything sounds like an insult. Every time somebody doesn't check on you, it feels like abandonment. It's the, the, the trauma that's being triggered. But what, what's encouraging to me, and what I got up here to tell you about today, because this is pretty depressing so far, but the, the same stimulus that triggered fear in the king's heart triggered faith in Elisha's. The Bible says in verse 8, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Now watch this. The king, the king said, "Who do you think I am? You think I can you think I'm a healer?" Elisha said, "I know God is a healer." So watch this. Have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. This man said, "Where you see where you see opposition, I see opportunity. And the same thing that triggered you to tear your robes and freak out and fall down in fear 
triggered Elisha to rise up in faith. Elisha said, send him to me because the word of God is with me. Now, Elisha has an experience to build this expectation on. Elisha has healed the waters at Jericho. Elisha has multiplied the widow's oil. Elisha has spoken to barren wombs, and when that child died, spoke life, and it resurrected from the dead. Elisha has dug ditches in dry valleys and seen God bring water from the direction of Edom. Elisha has seen God do things that only God can do. And so when an impossible situation that is beyond him shows up, Elisha knows what to do. Bring him here to me. I got something for Naaman. I heal lepers for breakfast. Bring him to me, and he will know not how great I am, but how great God is. And so, watch verse 9. I love this story. Naaman went with his horses and chariots and his expectations and his leprosy and his greatness and his butt. And he brought it all because he wanted to be healed. I know you want to be healed of something today, even though you've been covering it up. And I know you use your charisma to cover your cracks. And I know that nobody knows how dark the thoughts can really get for you sometime. But I've been doing this too long to sit there and preach to your armor. Because a business leader walked up to me and told me that he had to kick his teenager out of his house. He said, we almost got in a fist fight. He said, I swung at him and missed. Now, I realize this has gone way too far. And the man, the man had on khakis while he was telling me. Pleated khakis. Double pleated khakis. No tattoos. But didn't look like the kind of guy that would swing on his kid, but I don't even really think you've seen your own butt until you've been through certain things. And then the weird thing is, we all have short term memory loss. If we have one devotion and read our Bible one morning, now we start judging other people when they flip out. And so, Naaman. Naaman is on the verge of something. Now, they travel a long way to get here. It's like a 90-mile trip, and he's got, a, he's got a big crew with him, and he needs a miracle. And We admire him because he went. I, I do, at least. I think to even get to this point takes faith. And Maybe one of the reasons I don't put a lot of condemnation, or I try not to in my preaching, is because I'm pretty proud of you who decided to show up anyway. I know how many things could have kept you from being here, and I'm pretty proud that you made the decision to bring your butt to church. Give yourself a hand for bringing your butt to church. And If you're watching online, you don't get to clap. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots. And stopped at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger. Oh, this is not going to go well because Naaman is a great man. And when a great man comes to your doorstep, you give him a great greeting and you welcome him by name, man. I'm a retire. This is my last sermon. Y'all enjoy it. He sent a messenger to say to him, 
Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan. In the what? In the Jordan. You mean that muddy little excuse for a river that y'all like to celebrate so much in this nation of Israel, which I don't even like anyway? And he didn't even come to the door, and Naaman went off. No, he literally went off. Not in the figurative sense. He literally decided, I would rather go home with my leprosy. I'd rather go home and my arm fall off. I would rather go, I would rather die than be disrespected like this. And when he heard this ridiculous command, he says something very important in, in, in the instruction. It was a simple instruction. It was a stupid instruction. It didn't make much sense, just like it doesn't make much sense when God tells you to forgive somebody so that you can be forgiven. And you want to say, well, God, if they ask for it, I'll give it. And God says to you, I'm not talking about what they deserve. I'm talking about your deliverance. I'm talking about your clean heart. I'm talking about your clear mind. So if you want to get cleansed, I need you to do something that makes no sense because there is no cure for leprosy. It can't be cured. It's got to be cleansed, and it can only be cleansed if you obey this command. And verse 11 starts so sad, but there it is again. I'm going to preach a whole series one day on the butts of the Bible. But Naaman, stand in front of a miracle. Stand it. I mean, the guys around him are like, okay, that's all we got to do. Naaman, you can keep the 75 pounds of silver and the 75 pounds of gold, and you can pass out the 10 sets of clothing. And, and we could go home. We could start back home. That's easy. Somebody start running the water. Name and you want it hot. You want it extra hot. Name and you want a rubber ducky. Get the towel ready. You want some sunscreen? But it's a funny thing about pride. It's a funny thing about the small things. It's a funny thing about something that seems beneath you. Remember, the king was triggered because of something that seemed beyond him. Am I God? And Naaman is triggered because of something that seems beneath me. You want me to do what? Uh-uh. Uh-uh. I'm not doing that. Uh-uh. Nope. See, because when your heart is filled with pride, you try to write your own prescriptions. This is how I want God to bless me. This is how I want God to come through. This is how I want God to heal me. This is how I want him to respond. This is the opportunity I want. This is how I pray. So Naaman went away angry and said, this is two very dangerous words, by the way. This is, this is maybe the two most dangerous words for you to interpret your life through. I thought. I thought. Maybe those two words are the two words that are standing between me and peace today. I thought. I thought my dad was going to be grateful for the house. Now he's telling me about getting somebody over here to fix the. Huh? I thought. I thought you'd say thank you. I thought you'd grow up and play piano and put you in lessons. I thought. I thought. 
I thought he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God. See, Naaman had it all planned out because that's what great men do. Great men make great plans. And when those plans don't go the way that they were supposed to go, great men go off. Great women go off. Because I had this family picture, and here's where you were supposed to stand, and here's where you were supposed to smile, and here's where you were supposed, and here's where you were. I thought, could those two words be standing between you and healing today? I thought. God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts. And my ways are not your ways. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so are my thoughts above your thoughts and my ways above your ways. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that I thought he'd come out to me. I thought I thought he would see because I had this worked out. He comes to me, and then I give him the gifts, and I get the healing. This is how this works. Not this time, Naaman. Not this time. This transformation is not going to happen on your terms. God's not going to do it like you expected. He's not going to be held hostage to what you thought. So I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand. <laughs> See, he's supposed to wave. He's supposed to wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. He doesn't like the place God told him to get healed. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? I didn't have to come here for this. Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. And one of his servants, this guy needs a raise, by the way, went. To him. Notice how beautiful the story is told. It's chronicled like this. Naaman went to his master and said, I need permission to go to Israel. So he went to the king, and the king said, I can't do it. Then he went to Elisha with his chariots and horses. And now Naaman went off in a rage, and he's about to he's about to miss the opportunity to be healed because he is going off. And here's why he went off: because he didn't go in. He went off because he made his decision about what he thought about it, but he didn't go in. You know, I've noticed something about myself. When I don't go into the presence of God, when I don't go in and ask God, what are you doing in this situation? When I don't go into myself and seek for the Spirit of God to lead me, I start going off, and then I spend the next week fixing stuff that if I would have taken one moment and worshiped, if I would have taken one moment and sought God's wisdom, if I would have taken one moment and said, you know what? I don't want to fight about this. I don't want to be right. I want to be healed. I don't want to prove my own power. I want to receive your power, God. And what happens next is really beautiful because some of you are going to do it today. Stand with me. The servant came to Naaman and said something that I think is very prophetic, and I hope you can hear it on the level which it is intended. The servant chased Naaman down. Naaman is on his way back to Damascus. He's going to walk 90 miles back home with leprosy still on his skin because of something that seemed too small and insignificant for a great man like him to do. 
he's going to spend the rest of his life with this disease because he didn't want to do what he was told to do. And the servant said, Hey, man, sir, Naaman, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? Well, of course I would, because I'm a great man. Well, if you're a great man, how much more should you be able to do a small thing? So when he tells you, wash and be cleansed, why not give it a try? You know, you've been fighting so hard justifying your side of the story and justifying yourself and why it's all right and why it's okay. But, but hey, man, why not? If we already came 90 miles, if we already came this far, and that prophet is telling you that if you dip in the Jordan, you can be cleansed, isn't it worth a try? You already went to your master and got the letter. You already went with your horses and chariots. Now, you've, now you're going off in a rage. but Verse 14 is the happy ending, and I believe it's a new beginning for, for many of us today. The Bible says, so he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan. I'm glad after Naaman went off, he went in. And he went in not just once, not just twice, not just three times, not just four times, not just five times, not just six times, but all seven. Often when you're in the process of obeying God, you see no immediate effects of change. It's not like your skin gets healed a little bit with every dip. You got to have the faith to go through the motions, even when you see no evidence. Who am I talking to? You got to have the faith to go down and pray again, to lift up your hands and worship and say, I don't feel a thing right now, but God is with me, and God is for me, and who can be against me? And I will not fear, though a host of enemies encamps about me. I will not be afraid. The Lord is my helper. I lift my eyes to the hills. My help comes from the Lord. Bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. I believe this is a significant word for someone in the room who is about to go off. Maybe you've been going off. Maybe you already went off. I don't just mean temper tantrums, breaking stuff, throwing pictures around the room. I mean that there is something that God has given you to do in your life that seems so ridiculous that you like Naaman are at the point of frustration. I want to speak a word over your life today, that in this moment, the only way to receive healing is through your surrender. As long as you want to stay in control of those situations, they will continue to consume you. And That's what the presence of God is for. This is the Jordan River that you can dip in seven times. 
The Bible says that when he did it, his flesh was restored like a young boy. Isn't that amazing that the great man became like a young boy and he was healed? And isn't it interesting that God's greatest goal in Naaman's life was not to heal his skin, but to produce faith in his heart? Lift your hands in this moment. Father, I thank you for every person. And I thank you for every problem. I thank you for the great things. And I thank you for the but. Somebody in this room has an addiction. Somebody in this room has an illness. Somebody in this room has a heavy depression. And they see no signs of change. And they have really, really, really attractive armor. And so nobody can see but you what they're fighting with on the inside, and they keep pushing people away that you send to help them. In this moment, God, may this be the first dip in the process of their deliverance. I thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ that we stand under and look to today, for our healing and forgiveness and redemption has already been accomplished. I thank you that we are not healed, cleansed, or cured by achieving, but by receiving. Stretch your hands high as you can stretch them. We receive your grace in this moment, your mercy in this moment, healing waters. Wash over our soul. Well, I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. If you did, there are just a couple things I'd love for you to do. Number one, subscribe to our show. That way, the most recent episode will always be in your feed, waiting for you, ready when you are. And secondly, if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description and you can give now. And I'll see you next time on the Elevation Podcast. Right here, right now. Find your beautiful new floor at Right Rug Flooring. Choose from thousands of in-stock styles ready for next day installation and all backed by the right price guarantee. Visit rightrug.com. That's R-I-T-E-R-U-G.com today to schedule a free in-home estimate or to find a location near you. 24-month financing is available with approved credit. For 90 years, we've been right here, right now. Right Rug Flooring. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org.